great to see you all. And um, I am indeed Kate Lomax. And when I'm not helping out on the team here, I work as a church growth officer. And uh, that's a bit of a fancy title. Hopefully the responsibility is not all mine. But um, I work across Hertfordshire with churches and with church leaders, helping them to think about how they can flourish and grow. And that is a real privilege. It's a wonderful job to do. And I've been involved in church leadership for a number of years now, over 20 years, which I can't believe where the time has gone to. But um, in that time, I've worked in various different churches. I've worked in Luton, in Wolverhampton, in Shrewsbury. I've also worked as a hospital chaplain at Adam Brooks Hospital in Cambridge, which, again, was a real, real privilege to do. And I want to start this morning by, uh, with a confession. Now, it's not a very juicy confession, so don't get too worried and too excited, but it, it's about gardening. And I need to confess that neither myself or Tim actually are very good at gardening. And I feel the older I get as though this is a skill that I should have honed. I should be good at gardening. I should be able to show my garden kind of proudly off to others. And especially I feel this when we go to visit friends and we see the wonderful gardens that some people have. And actually it makes me feel more than a little bit lacking. But I think for us, the reason that we're not very good, or maybe it's my excuse, is because we've spent much of our life in houses that are not owned by us. They belong to the church that we've worked for. And therefore, what you can do in that garden is quite limited. So therefore, our gardening skills have been limited to creating patio pots or, you know, those little raised beds where you can grow vegetables. And uh, we got quite good at that, but nothing, nothing else really. But recently, we had the challenge of transforming a garden in a property that we do own in Suffolk. And therefore, our very limited gardening skills were definitely put to the test. So I've got a picture of our garden before. This is when we bought the house. We bought it just after lockdown. And it's a new house on a new estate. And therefore, we were lucky to even get the turf, because when we looked around, a lot of gardens hadn't even got, got that, so we were doing well. But as you can see, it's very bare and very sparse, and it needed something doing with it. And we put that off for as long as possible, but then we realized that actually we need to do something with it. So I love all of those garden redesign programs. I don't know about you. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it, what they can do um, with the gardens and the spaces. And it's wonderful to see the transformations. Well, let's just say ours was a little bit more limited and low-key compared to that. We know our limits. And even what we did choose to do, it seemed a lot easier in theory than it was in practice. For instance, who knew that laying two rows of patio slabs is so difficult? You have to get it exactly even, and then you lay it down, and then if it's just not quite, you have to pull the whole thing up and start again. Well, never again with that. 
And um, I thought it'd be a really good idea to paint and stain the fence all round. So, and again, I will never do that again. I wanted to give up halfway through, but of course you can't, can you? Because there it is, you've got to carry on once you've started it. But um, yeah, plenty of things seem like a good idea at the time. Anyway, here's a result of what we did. <laughs> now, <laughs> much as I would like to say, and you can't, uh, you will never know how close I was to pretending that that was actually what we'd done. This is not our garden. <laughs> this is what we would have liked ours to look like. But sadly, ours actually looked, it was a little bit more low-key than that. So um, let's see what we did. <laughs> and this was good going for us. Um, we were really pleased with it. I think in, when we were there, it looked more impressive than it looks on the photo. <laughs> and that's just one end. But you can see the robots there. God's, God's uh, pleased with it. <laughs> that's what I'd like to believe. Oh, gosh. But... Um, it, it was hard work. And um, actually, one of the things that we wanted to do was to plant a tree. And even that in itself was really difficult because we dug, Tim dug, the hole for the tree. And when he dug down, actually, it was just full of water because there was obviously a problem with the, the drainage in the soil at that end. So even that, you can see the dog looking kind of carefully on. Should probably be more help than us. But um, we, yes, so even that was difficult. But we eventually got this tree in, and then we only then fully realised the reality that actually we've been at our house in Suffolk there, we're now returning to St Albans for six weeks, and actually who's going to look after the garden and the tree? And um, that posed a bit potentially of a problem. So we hadn't quite realised, I don't think, actually that trees, when you first plant them, they're really quite high maintenance. They take a lot of watering. You need the posts to keep them stable to ensure that the roots go down and it uh, begins to grow. So for us, the next challenge was, what on earth do we do to keep this garden in good shape and this tree alive, make sure it's not dead by the time we return in September? And our solution came, thankfully, in the form of Vinny, a local gardener, who for a fee was prepared to come a couple of times a week, a few times a week, and keep a careful eye on this garden, and especially on this tree, so that it could take root and it could grow. And we return in a week's time, so hopefully, we are hopeful that we will see good progress but trees are used, aren't they, time and time again in the Bible as a helpful image in our relationship with God. Take Abraham and Sarah meeting God near the great trees of Mamre, or Zacchaeus climbing up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah used an image of a tree to encourage the people of Judah to put their trust in God rather than in themselves or in anyone or anything else. Jeremiah was a man who was chosen by God to guide his people according to his will 
to speak of a vision for their destiny as his chosen ones. And he had a really difficult task on his hands. He was speaking into a time of political and religious crisis for the people. But he was committed to the cause. And Jeremiah stands out amongst the Old Testament prophets as somebody who was assigned an almost impossible mission to call the people back to God at a time when they're on the brink of national and spiritual catastrophe. But Jeremiah is faithful to what God has called him to and is devoted against his better judgment when you read Jeremiah at times to being God's spokesperson to a generation. And his message is this, that God is their only hope that only God can bring their healing and their restoration. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses seven and eight says this. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its shoots, roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. It's a striking image that Jeremiah uses in such a turbulent and difficult time to be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. And when I imagine this, I picture something like this image. Roots deep down, strong into the water. But please let's note when we hear this image that this is not a promise that in doing so, all the difficulty will be removed. This is not what Jeremiah is saying. Rather, this is an image of complete reliance on God of their confidence and trust being in him and him alone, of staying close to him, of trusting God in what were really, really hard times, a promise of no matter what the circumstances are, if they are rooted in God, they will never fail to flourish and bear fruit. He will always sustain them. I want to share this morning something of my own story and how it resonates with this. When I first became a Christian, I was 16, and I really thought that knowing Jesus meant that all the difficulties and problems that I had would somehow magically disappear, that he'd take them away. And when they didn't, I honestly thought that I was doing something wrong. I was 16 and things were really difficult at home. My parents had not long divorced and it was the opposite of amicable. It was really difficult. The relationship had completely broken down between them. And I was living with my mum, but it meant that it was really, really difficult to have a relationship with my dad. It was not at all easy. And so I prayed and I asked God to make it all okay. 
to take the difficulties away. And then I would go to church and I'd look around and everybody looked so happy. And I thought, actually, this is, I'm not getting it right here. Because actually, I honestly feel really unhappy. And so I just thought it was something to do with with me. And I wondered why God wasn't removing all the pain and the problems from my life. And I began to think that I didn't matter, therefore, to him. And sadly, this really had an impact on my faith. And I drifted away from church and from God. And so I then chose to put my confidence and my trust in other things, in other people, other relationships, trying to root myself in those and be sustained by them. But it never did work, never did sustain me. Those relationships broke down, the things just didn't do what they needed to do because they're fragile and they were unreliable. They dried up and could never give me what I needed. Deep down, I knew I needed. Six years later, when I was 22, my mum died suddenly, unexpectedly, and I was totally devastated. I was living away from home by that point, and I was training to be a nurse. And somehow I managed, I look back and think, I don't know how I did it, but I managed to carry on with my training with support from my tutors. And I started a placement on a ward like you do, you go around to different wards to learn. And I met there this lovely Christian lady and I used to talk to her in the staff room at break times and lunch times. And she, as she got to know me, encouraged me to go along to a student gathering, a student service at a local church. And none of my friends at the time were Christians, so I had to pluck up the courage to go on my own one evening, and that was hard in itself. But I'm so glad that I did, because God met with me there in a really powerful way. I was prayed for and I was given some words from the New Testament from the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 12. Words which have become almost like a soundtrack to my life, but they've become really significant and words that I've held dear from that point on. Paul was writing this passage, this letter to the church in Corinth at a time when he was struggling with a difficulty, a thorn in the flesh is how he describes it. No one can be sure exactly what that thorn in the flesh was. And he doesn't say, so maybe the details don't matter. But he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." It's a powerful passage, and it's what Paul wants the church to hear, something of how he's been sustained in the hard times. And he wants to encourage and guide this church 
in their time of difficulty. And so he shares this example from his own life. He was struggling, and so he prays that the pain and the difficulty and the problem would be taken away from him. But God answered that plea in the way that he answers many prayers. He doesn't remove the difficulty, but instead he gives Paul the strength and the help to stand within it. The Bible tells us when we read how Paul went through so much difficulty in his life, but in it all, he knew the reality of God being his strength in weakness. And he knew that reality of needing to remain rooted in God, rooted in Jesus, so that he says he is able to delight in these hard times. Now, unlike Paul, I don't think I could ever go that far. I, I wouldn't ever say that I delight in struggle or difficulty or weakness. I'm maybe not that good a Christian. But these words from this passage and this encounter with God, they began a transformation of heart and mind for me. And it's, it's been a journey. It's not always been easy and other difficulties have come along and some of them have been really challenging. But at that moment, I began to see the truth of God being with me in it always, that he never would leave me. And that more than that, it was at those times of weakness in my own strength that actually his power would be at work all the more powerfully. And this resonates, I think, with the words that we heard from Jeremiah. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. And for the majority of us, if not all of us, life isn't always wonderful. It isn't always what we want it to be. Difficulties come our way. And we can be faced with very real challenges. And they come in all different shapes and sizes, relationship issues, illness, job, or money related. Different for each one of us, but just as real and valid. I just wonder what challenges you might be facing at the moment. What are we facing? Many of these things we can't control. There's no doubt that life can be tough at times, can't it? And that sometimes we can have little control over the circumstances. But what we do have the power to do and what we do have the power to control is how we respond in those situations whether to push God away, because like me, you assume that if he loves us, then he'll take it all away. He'll, rem he'll remove the pain and the struggle from our life. That's what we want. Or whether to choose to trust him, to have confidence in him, to be like that tree, to stay close to Jesus, sending our roots deep into his life-giving and sustaining water, to dwell in him. So that even when our life is most difficult, our lives still bear fruit 
And like Paul, his power can be seen in our weakness. In what ways do we, do I, need to know God's power at work in our weakness at the moment? Maybe life for you is tough right now and you might be struggling with the circumstances of life and maybe you just want God to take it all away. And you're maybe wondering if you're honest whether God even hears you or even cares. And what is it, therefore, that sustains us in the hard times? What and who do we turn to and rely on? Do we stay close to God, to Jesus, to remain rooted in him? Do we choose to dwell in his presence, staying and listening to his word, allowing him to speak into our lives by his Holy Spirit? Or do we try at those moments to do it in our own strength? to be sustained and to find the strength from other things or other people. And that could be relying on our finances or our family or our work. It could be that we work too hard, we drink too much, we spend too much, the list goes on. We rely on other people too much. And ultimately, none of those things satisfy. None of of those things are worth relying on and they can't sustain us. Only God has the power to do that. So this morning, do you need to be reminded or maybe even know for the first time that God loves you and is with you? He never leaves you. And his promise is that not that everything would be taken away and life would always be good, but that he will give us everything that we need to stand and to even flourish in those times. So let's be encouraged to come to Jesus and to ask him to help us to sink our roots deep into his life-giving water, to be our strength and our confidence so that we can flourish and bear fruit for him despite any circumstances of our life. And as a church community at what is undoubtedly a really difficult and challenging time, there is that same need for us to push our roots down deep into his living water, to be sustained by him, to have our confidence and trust rooted in him, not anyone or anything else, so that we can still bear fruit in this season, to allow his power to be made perfect in our weakness and to stand in his strength and not our own. I want to end where I began with sharing a story about trees. I have to admit that I find them ever more fascinating, trees. And I hadn't realised until a few years ago that trees don't just exist in isolation, but actually they are connected and are in community with the other trees around them. Deep in the ground under any woodland or forest, the tree roots connect and they're able to send messages to one another. I think we've got an image. And as they do so, when they're in close proximity, their roots become intertwined. It's the world wood web. Sometimes it's referred to as 
And when a tree is in danger, it can send a message through its roots to ask the other trees for help. And they can send out some of their nutritional um, goodness into the roots and through the roots into the other trees to help them. And when it's in danger, it can do this. A tree can send a message and receive help from others. And when a tree knows that it's dying, it can also send out all of its nutritional goodness into the roots of the trees and the community of trees around it. And so as I finish, for us as God's people, we don't live in isolation. We live in community with others and we're called to be a blessing to those around us, to be rooted and grounded in trust and confidence together in community so that the power of Jesus can be at work in us and through us for the good, not just of our own lives, but the lives of others our families and friends, our workplaces, our communities, our world. That we might produce fruit, not just simply for ourselves, but for the good of others to be a blessing to them. That we might live lives that speak of the power of Jesus at work in our life, even and especially at the most difficult times so that many others might be drawn into that living water of Jesus to grow and to be rooted in him.